Hi, everybody. It's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome or welcome back to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Well, as we practice our faith, it seems like there is this magnetic pull constantly to to try to follow rules to make God happy with us. And to illustrate that, I wanna just show you a really short video here of some, some man on the street interviews where the question was asked, do you think you're going to heaven and why? And I want you to listen for the blending of faith in God plus what I need to do in order for that to happen. Take a listen. After my decision-making lately, I might have some repenting to do, but I definitely think that I'm going to heaven because I'm an overall good guy, good person, you know, um, have a good attitude, and I believe in God, and I go to church every once in a while. Um, I haven't really been to church in a while, but since I have accepted Jesus and I try to live by the Bible, you know, um, not sin as much and just spread the word about Jesus, then yes, I do feel like I'm going to heaven. I can't judge myself in that way, so all I can do is act appropriately and do nice things for other people and try not to be like perfectly honest. I don't know if I'm going to heaven. I think um, maybe if I, the rest of my life I'm a, I'm a good person, maybe. I don't think this time in my life, deter- well, I don't know, maybe if I die tomorrow. I feel like it's more complicated of a, of a topic than people actually think. You know, it's not just like, oh, if you do the good things, you're gonna go to heaven. I don't think it's as easy as that. I don't know, we'll see. I think I'm doing, I'm pursuing a career in medicine, so I'm, hopefully going to be helping others my whole life, so hopefully that, that'll do some good for me. I think that just, you know, doing good deeds and being a good person that, you know, yeah, I'll probably end up in heaven, hopefully. Hopefully the big guys uh, watching this one right now, you know. So, ho- hopefully you know the correct answer to that question. Uh, how, how do I get to heaven? The, the correct answer is faith in Jesus plus nothing. But there seems to be this, this temptation constantly to feel like we have to add something to what Jesus has provided. I mean, I guess, after all, what, what is the alternative? I mean, do we have faith in Jesus plus live however I want, like do whatever I want to do? I mean, that, that could get us, most of us, into a lot of trouble, could get me into trouble. I'll give you a, an example that's safe to share here this morning. The, the way that could get me into trouble over the next several months, we're entering into the season of holidays that are all filled with like special food. So like, you know, pumpkin rolls and, you know, just spice lattes, all that stuff, you know, fruitcake, nah, not so much. But, you know, there's just all kinds of really good stuff. Like if I just do what I want, it's going to mean that I'm just going to, I'm going to, fill up and I'm going to, you know, grow in ways that aren't, aren't healthy. So, so said another way, when we are faced with the choice between following rules or following laws or being lawless, it seems like, well, I really should follow the law, right? That, that really is the better of those two options. But what if there is a door number three? 
What, what if there is a, a third option for us that fully pleases and satisfies God, but frees us from the pressure of having to obey rules that we can never live up to? We're, we're gonna talk about that this morning. If you would turn with me in your Bible to Romans chapter 13. And it would be really great for you to turn there and follow along this morning. We're gonna, we're gonna do some work. I hope you ate your Wheaties this morning. So this morning is not just a like, you know, let the, let the message just kind of fall on me. You're gonna have to do a little work with me to, to get the most out of this. So uh, if, if you're new with us, we are studying the whole way through this book of, of Romans. And today we're circling back to a topic that we covered in detail earlier in the book, which is a benefit of studying the whole way through a book because we see how the author takes themes and weaves them through and works them out in different ways. So the, the theme that we're returning to is law, and then we're going to add something new to that. So we're in Romans 13, starting in verse 8, just looking at three verses here this morning. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So we're tying together two themes here. One previous theme, law, and then a more recent topic, love. And, and Ken referred to this several weeks back. We, we talked about the fact that love should be our brand. Jesus, Jesus radically demonstrated love for us. He wants his followers to radically live out love. And so Paul is bringing law and love together, but Paul was not the first to bring those themes together. Jesus was. So if we go to Matthew 22, some of you will remember a lawyer came to Jesus, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then get this last phrase. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So you can boil everything down, all of the law, all of the law of Moses, all the first five books of, of the Old Testament, you can boil down to these two commands. It's a perfect summary, Jesus says, of the Ten Commandments. So the first four commandments deal with how do we love God. And then the last six commandments deal with how do we love our neighbor. And then the Jewish scholars at one point looked at all of those laws in the first five books of, of the Old Testament, and they determined that there were 613 laws in there that a good Jewish person needed to obey. Jesus says all of those, love covers it. If you just love others well, you will naturally carry out all of those laws and those rules. And so Jesus says, that's really love is all you need to know. And then Paul follows suit. So in verse 10, the last phrase here, therefore love 
is the fulfilling of the law. So here's the point said another way. Life in Christ is about loving, not law-keeping. Our focus as followers of Christ should not be about, oh, I've got to like, figure out how to obey all these, these rules. Our focus should be, how can I love others better? How can I love God first and foremost? How can I love others better? So Romans 12, too, at the, at the beginning of Romans 12, we are, we are called to a transformed life, that our life should look different than people in the world around us. And that transformed life comes not by our willpower. Um, it, it comes by being in Christ. We're gonna talk more about what that means in, in just a few minutes. So as we pursue being in Christ, then we replace the old question of what does the law require of me with a new question, what does love require of me? What, what, is, what is love required? This is a radical shift in thinking, which helps explain why it's so hard for us to let go of trying to follow rules along with following Christ by, by faith. So I want to just take a few moments and review why it is so hard to let go of that mindset. There's a phrase right here in the verses that we read that kind of clue us into that. In verse 8 and 10, in verse 8, Paul says, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then at the end of verse 10, love is the fulfilling of the law. The fulfilling of the law, the keeping of the law, was huge in the minds of the Jewish people because God blessed them with a unique privilege. He gave them a law. When they came out from being slaves in Egypt, he gave them a law to govern them. And it wasn't just a law for them to understand how to interact with each other and establish a civilization, which they didn't know how to do because they had been slaves under someone else's rule. So now how do we live with one another? It did do that, but it did something even more foundational than that. It established a covenant between God as their ruler and the people as his subjects. So scholars, Bible scholars note that in the the ancient Middle East, there were these covenants that were established between a king and his people. So the king would say, here's what I'm going to provide for you, and then here is what you need to do on your end, people, as you're subject to me. Basically, just obey whatever I say kind of thing. And so they would have these established covenants. This, The covenant that we have for the Jewish people is right in line with those. The difference is that this covenant is established between the God of the universe. This is no human being establishing a covenant with other human beings. This is the God of the universe who's saying, I've chosen these people to follow me, and I'm gonna bless you if you and as you follow my, my lead, as you follow these rules and these commands. So it was this very special connection between God and his people. And it was a very special privilege uniquely to to the Jewish people. So 
we can kind of appreciate the fact that now Paul is coming along and he's saying in Romans that our relationship with God is no longer based on the law. It is now based on faith in Christ. I mean, that, that's radical. I mean, that's, that's a radical change in thinking. But, but Paul says it's because the reason this can be true is because Christ fulfilled all of the requirements of the law. So it's not just that we're throwing the law out. Christ came and lived the perfect life, being obedient to all of those rules, all of those laws that which we could not do perfectly. And so Christ did what we could not do so that we can now trust him and say, okay, he is gracious enough to credit his perfect record to our imperfect record. And so we say, God, thank you for offering me that, that gift. That's where our faith is, not in our ability to be able to keep the law our, ourselves. But we can understand, this, this is really hard to make that mind shift. For the Jewish people, it's also hard to make that mind shift for those of us who are naturally rule followers. And that includes some people who in a previous life and I don't mean reincarnation, I'm talking about in a younger life, were rule breakers, right? Because sometimes if you grow up as a rule breaker and then you realize, oh man, that's not the way to do this, and then you do a 180, then you're all about like, well, no, now I've got to toe the line. And so that, it, that includes all of those groups of people. Man, it's hard to let go of thinking, I've got to follow these rules in order to please God. So Paul keeps returning to this theme that we are not bound by the law. We, we do not live by legalism, but we also don't live by lawlessness. We can live by door number three, love. And so what I want to do, and, and the reason I have the podium up here this morning is that I need to set this down, because we're going to do a little quick survey through some key verses in Romans to help us wrap our heads around the fact that we're, it, it's okay to set the law aside. And to do that, we're going to look, and this is why I told you we're gonna do some work here. We're gonna look at some key verses starting in Romans 6.4, and then we're gonna look at 7.4, 8.4, 9.4, and 10.4, good buddy. Okay, so we're gonna look through all of those. Uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna move really quickly to see this shift from the law to love. Okay, so Romans 6, flip back a few pages. I had to do this so that I could set my Bible down and not lose my notes and all that good stuff. Romans 6, 4 says, We were buried, therefore, with him, with Christ, by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I wanted to start here because this verse describes the radical nature of our change when we come into relationship with Jesus. When we come into relationship with Jesus, it is not a Band-Aid on your old life. It is not a pledge to try to do better and try to do your best. It is something much more radical about that our, than that. Our transformation begins with our baptism into Christ. And this is baptism that is not less than water baptism, 
But it is more than water baptism. It is deeper than water baptism. It is actually about our identity. We are saying my identity changes when I come into relationship with Christ. I'm no longer who I used to be. I am now a new creation. I'm a new person made new. And that is why I'm able to live differently, not because I'm trying harder. It's because Christ has made me new. And so from that point forward, we live life in Christ. Paul uses that phrase over and over again, in Christ. Colossians 3.3 expresses this beautifully. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What that means is every time God looks at you, he sees the righteousness and the perfection of Christ. Your your old life is hidden with Christ in God. He looks at you, he sees righteousness and holiness. And you and I get to share in the inheritance of Christ, Christ as the son of the father. We share everything that is due to Christ as a son. He makes us heirs of that. It's it's mind Mind-blowing. So that's 6-4. Now go to 7-4. Chapter 7, verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So in in chapter 6, verse 4, we died with Christ, In chapter 7, 4, we have died to the law by dying with with Christ. This is is what begins to rock the, the Jewish mind. The law of Moses no longer applies to us in Christ, but that does not mean that we are free to just be lawless and do whatever we want. The verse ends, verse 4 here ends with, We've been raised from the dead. We we belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead. Why? In order that we may bear fruit to God. So God's intention is that we are going to do good things. We are going to please him with our actions. Because Christ has fulfilled all of the law, then we are freed from the pressure of having to do that ourselves and from the penalty of When we disobey, we're freed from all of that, and from our new nature, we can produce fruit for God. Fruit that's described in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what he's freed us to do. Ready for 8-4? Okay, 8-4, and chapter 8 is the pinnacle of the whole Bible, so I have to read the verses leading up to that. We're going to start in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I have to pause here and just say, there's just so much to say this morning. So those of you who have been here know that as we've divided Romans into seasons, season one was the righteousness of God revealed in universal condemnation. The first chapters of Romans were very sobering, very heavy, as Paul made the case that every single human being who has ever lived falls short of God's glory, and we are under, we are rightfully under condemnation. That's why Romans 8.1 is so beautiful, because it tells us that Jesus has reversed that for us. 
by his gift. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, and here's verse four, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So God sent Christ to do what we could not do, so he could free us from the expectations of doing what we could not do. I mean, let that freedom sink in. He, he came to give us freedom, to walk in freedom from performance and to just rest in his grace. It is, it's the message summarized in our key verse for Romans 1.17. Those of you who are new, Hopefully you are learning this by now, but we'll just review it. Just, we'll just do a review this morning. All right, but please read it with me or just close your eyes and say it if you know it. The one who by faith, not performance, is righteous shall live. The one who by faith is righteous shall live. Not by our performance, but it's by faith in Christ. We live and we experience life. That's what Romans 12 to 16 is all about. What does that life look like? All right, so verse four here, chapter eight, verse four. So that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Remember that from chapter 13, eight and 10 where we started? Okay, this is about how the law is fulfilled in us. Now chapter nine, verse four. This, this is a reminder of how central the law is to the identity of the Jewish people. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. So again, central to the identity, to the privilege of the Jewish people. And now 10.4. Good buddy, sorry, I just can't resist saying that. Um, 10, chapter 10, verse four. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Some of you have a footnote there and, and a, a, an easier way to express that that is still very true to, to the Greek. If we can bring that up on the screen. Um, Christ is the end of the law that everyone who believes may be justified. You and I cannot be justified by our own efforts. It is by, so, so it is by faith, by believing that we may be justified. So Christ is the end of the law. This is radical and freeing. So with that background, let's read chapter 13, 8 to 10 again, and then we'll camp there for the rest of our time. Chapter 13, verse eight. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of 
the law. Life in Christ is about loving, not law-keeping. So, in a word, the way to fulfill the law is to love. And, and this is love the way God defines it. We've said this many times here that we use the word love in so many different ways that we, we really twist and warp it from what God intended it to be. So we have to understand what God defines as love. Romans 12, as we've studied there, is a good start to that because he describes what love looks like for one another. 1 Corinthians 13 is, a, is another good passage to go to to understand God's perspective on love. So we can replace the old question of what does the law require of me with a new question, what does love require? Or, or maybe to make it even a little more personal, how would Jesus have me love? It's kind of like the question, what would Jesus do? You know, you've heard that question before. And whenever, that, whenever we talk about that, I like to bring up the point and remind you that in order to understand what would Jesus do, we have to understand what did Jesus do, okay? So we have to look back at, if we wanna understand how would Jesus love, how would Jesus have me love, we have to understand how did Jesus love. And so to, to dig into this question for, for just a few moments, I wanna highlight a key word here in Romans 13, verse eight. It's the word another. Paul says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The one who loves another. The, the Greek word there is heteron. So we, we encounter that concept like when we talk about something being heterogeneous versus homogeneous, right? Homogeneous is when, you know, we've got people who are gathered together or we've got some kinds of objects and they're all pretty much very, very similar. Heterogeneous is when they're very, very different. And so the concept here is, Paul says, the one who loves another who is very different from us, who has, has fulfilled the law. That's harder than loving people who are similar to us. That's also harder than obeying the law, quite honestly. So Jesus is really raising the bar. Paul is raising the bar. And when, when Jesus called people to love their neighbor, he got a clarifying question in Luke chapter 10. There's a lawyer, earlier we looked at Matthew 22. This is a different passage with a similar theme. A lawyer desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? So if, if, Jesus is saying, you are to love your neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells this brilliant story of a man in need. And in that story, so it's the story of the Good Samaritan, if you're familiar with, with that. In that story, the Samaritan is the surprise hero. So there's a priest and a Levite who walk by and leave this man. This man is robbed, he's beaten, he's left for, for dead. And this Levite and priest walk on by. They're the people that you would think and you would hope. I mean, they're people that are supposed to be really close to God. You would hope that they would be the ones who would help this person. But instead, it's a Samaritan who is very, very different from the Jewish people. It's hard for us to appreciate how different they were. There was such a divide between them. There was such animosity between them. There was hatred 
There was distrust. And yet Jesus cast this Samaritan as the hero. And so think for yourself just for a moment. Who is someone in your life who is so different from you? And I'm talking probably mainly different in values. Who is someone who lives different, thinks different, just is so different from you? It is, it is really hard. You find it hard to love them because of those differences. Jesus said that we as his followers are to cross those kinds of barriers in order to show love. That's what Paul's talking about here in verse 8 when he says, the one who loves another. We could divide that word up and say, the one who loves an other someone who is other than, than us. That is harder than obeying the law. But that is what Jesus calls us to. That's what he empowers us to. Jesus has raised the bar for us from following rules. He, he said that life with him is about loving, not law-keeping. So here's my question for you as we wrap up here this morning. Who does God have in your life right now, who is so different from you that you find it really hard to love them. Here's the challenge with that for, for this week, is to ask yourself the question, how would Jesus have me love this person? And, it, and, and then pray about that. I mean, really ask the Lord to show you. And, and I'll throw out just a couple of simple ideas. It could be as simple as you're just saying hello to them. Maybe this is a coworker or it's a neighbor and, and your inclination is just to withdraw, to, to just kind of avoid them. Maybe you're just saying hello. Maybe you're saying like, how was your weekend? Maybe if you have some kind of a bridge built with them already, you, you go so far as to say, you know, prayer is really important to me is there some way that I can be praying for you? Or maybe if they share something in the course of, of the, telling you about their weekend or whatever, they share they had a loss or something that's going on in their life, you make a note of that, you do pray for that, and you come back and ask them for that. What are ways that you can build bridges to people who are very different from you? That's the kind of love that Jesus has called us to love with. Let's pray. Father, thank you for freeing us from a law that we could never keep perfectly. Thank you, Jesus, for being the perfect one who came and kept the law perfectly. And now thank you for your gracious gift that allows us to receive your perfect record, overriding our own, so that then we can, we can now just bear fruit because you have made us new to bear fruit that pleases you. Lord, help Help us to bear fruit of love in this world, particularly fruit with, particularly loving people who are different than we are. God, we confess that doesn't come naturally to us, but Lord, we ask you to open our eyes, open our hearts to receive your love, and then to, because you've loved us even when we were far from you, help us to extend that kind of love to others, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.